I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple We're joined by a very special guest. Once again, we've been on a roll lately with our guests. Uh, Our buddy Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix, the Metrospective. Uh, Excuse me, I'm starting that over. Uh, No problem. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're confusing with the names anyway. No, I, I, I wrote it down too. And I said, oh, wow, you know. Let's not mess that up. And I messed it up anyway. Okay. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right. Three, two. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. we got a special guest with us. Another special guest. We've been on a a hot streak lately with the guests. Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix and the Metropolitan. Also co-founder of Nick's Film School, which if you haven't jumped on yet, you really should because they're putting out some terrific content over there. JB, what's going on, man? Yeah. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Glad to be on. Ah, thanks for coming on, man. This is, this should be fun. Um, before we jump into the Mets, I, I got to one congratulate you guys on your 300th episode over at uh, <clears throat> over at Nick's Film School. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and and it was you, a fun one. You guys landed the goat, man. You landed Mike Breen. Yeah, no, it, it was. Uh... Actually, it was funny because Macri even surprised me with that one. You, you know, usually I'll have obviously a good idea with what's going on, but um, but that one he surprised me with even too. So it was it was fun. Oh, that's it's so cool, man! You guys are really um, you know, I'm a Knicks fan and I, I truly do enjoy it. And uh, any of you listeners, if you're Knicks fans, I, I highly suggest you check it out. It's Nick at Nick Film School S K O O L on Twitter, and uh, yeah. Just outstanding. But let's get into the Metsies. Um, Steve Cohen's in camp. You got to think that um, that energy that we've been feeling all offseason, uh, the big man brought it in with him. Um, you, th- you think every- anybody was nervous with the new boss around? <laughs> yeah, a little different vibe, right, than, uh, than spring trainings before with, with Jeff Wilpon uh, floating around. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting, especially because of the way, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about the way the roster is right now, where, you know, you got a lot of guys, you know, thinking about, are they going to make some more money, you know, next year and what contract extensions look like and things like that. And, you know, Cohen, you're talking maybe one of a handful of owners who's, you know, in a position to hand out these big contracts right now. So, so I'm sure there's a, a different energy than, than prior springs for sure. Yeah. I think we've heard some guys talk about it. Um, I know yesterday when uh, Cohen and Sandy Alderson were walking around camp, we heard about, you know, the excitement. We heard about, you know, some players and coaches talk about it this week, I guess, feeling that that excitement. But, yeah, you have to imagine, um, you know, his – I guess Rojas said on on Sunday, uh, he called them passionate and curious. And, really, who, who's not about this team? Uh, I think we're all very interested to see – how this shakes out, like you were saying, this roster, the roster is built for, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's built for a long haul. And after a 60 game season last year, heading into a full season this year, uh, all the pitching depth, um, all the versatility, you know, it, it should come in handy. It really should uh, play well for what the Mets are up against. Um, what do you think about, I guess the, the pitching depth in itself. I mean, they, they really secured things as far as Taiwan Walker uh, holding up the back end. There's going to be some competition uh, for that fifth spot. Are you comfortable with what they've done? Yeah. I mean, I think all Mets fans are kind of in this same position this off season, right? Where it was like, you kind of watching, expecting something big to happen. You weren't sure what that would be. I think we all went through, um, maybe too many iterations debating about Trevor Bauer and all that. But then it was like, yeah, guys kept coming off the board and, and finally they, they got Walker. I mean, uh, you know, Cyrus comes out with a really good starting pitching ranking and, it, and it's more fantasy based, but he puts stuff in there that that's obviously relevant to the real world. 
And he showed the Mets staff as having the highest injury risk. And, and, they, and he uses, I think it was Jeff Zimmerman over at Fangraphs that came up with the metric originally. But, you know, they look at release points and, and different, even mechanical things to come up with that. So, you know, while obviously the top of the rotation you feel pretty good about, you know, you really felt like they needed to add depth. So I'm glad that they did with Walker. I mean, obviously he hasn't pitched a lot in the last three years, but, you know, that was all really off one injury. It wasn't like, you know, the guy is, um, you know, had like three or four different injuries and you're worried that he's injury prone. So maybe if, you know, he was healthy last year, he'll continue that. Um, so I guess I'm giving you kind of half answer of, I feel like when when everyone's healthy and with Syndergaard coming back, how do you not feel good about the rotation? And, you know, I'm leaving a bullpen to the side for right now. Um, but, you know, obviously like any team, you know, you get, you get a big injury, uh, you know, things get thin quick. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, and, and you look at the additions they made, even like, you know, even down to your, like your Jared Eikhoffs and your Sean Reed Foley's who can get thrown in there if necessary. And, you know, you, you go into things hoping that, <laughs> you know they won't see much much time if the um, if the, the rotation stays intact. But you know we heard from Joey Lucchese this week. We heard from David Peterson on Saturday. We heard from Jordan Yamamoto on Sunday. And the general sentiment seems to be that everyone's here to kind of earn their way and earn their keep and and uh, you know be ready at the at the at moments notice. And I think that's just such a <laughs> there's something very cool about that. There's something very. <laughs> progressive about that at least for this organization like in the past it was oh hey look we got so and so off the trash heap this is our guy this is the depth (laughs) we were looking for and like we all we all saw the charade but you know to see the new regime kind of um make this a focus and it goes across the roster but even just in the rotation i mean you have a whole almost a second rotation of major league ready starters just at your disposal, how you want to use yeah. them, go for And that's, it's just, um, it, it's a welcome change. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think that is worth noting with um, Lucchese and Yomamoto and, you know, even with Peterson, these are all guys with options, right? So the key mm-hmm. was you have flexibility where, you know, everyone's going to have the, you know, maybe 60% of your starts filled with some sort of major league pitcher, ideally, but it's really at the back of that rotation where you're going to cycle guys in and out. So the Mets, like you said, in the past, they're cycling in, you know, basically sub replacement level players where now you're bringing in guys who, you know, they can make, they might not be a guy who's going to give you 200 innings of quality starts, but they will make a spot start for you. That's better than just some random guy who you know, doesn't belong in the major leagues or isn't ready yet for the major league. So I think that's probably the area they've done the best, in my opinion, this offseason, is just filling that gap between you know, the major, basically like AAA, just like sub, like just off maybe the major league roster, but ready to come in when they need to. And that, that's more important than people realize over a, you know, when last year was a shortened season, but over a full 162 game season. Oh, even looking at last year. I mean, you had two very, very, you know, foundational pillars go down in Syndergaard and no, Stroman. Right. No, that's true. And, 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 you know, you're throwing David Peterson into the mix last year. Yeah, besides the fact you're moving, uh, you know, Michael Waka and Rick Porcello two spots up in the rotation, which is never ideal. But, you know, David Peterson, who'd never pitched above double A, um, you know, he was thrown right into the mix this year. And now... You know, if something happens, something drastic happens where you have to fill in these ro- these rotation spots, you don't need to lean on a guy who's never be pitched above a certain level and and really doesn't. I don't want to say he doesn't belong at this level because he performed fantastically last year. <laughs> right, right. But but you'd hate for the league. I was saying it on a show earlier today. I was guesting on our, on our, on our buddy show uh, earlier in the day that you know you hate to bring Peterson back out here and let the league get a book on him and just, you know, kind of kill whatever development or whatever strides he took last year, you know, cause it's inevitable that a new pitcher, a young pitcher, especially one lacking experience, you know, the league is going to get a book. They're going to beat him up. And you hate to see that happen to such a talented lefty like Peterson, a talented pitcher in general, but yeah, I'm fine with letting him develop. And, um, yeah, and now they have other other legs to stand on. It's uh, it, it really is. It's it, it's a nice 
step in a, a in a very encouraging direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Carrasco, I mean, is he? He's got to be to me the most underrated pickup of the offseason, right? I mean, obviously, you come in and trade with Francisco Lindor, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to be the headline guy. But you know, when you think about what he could bring to this rotation as someone who's just reliable and better than I think a lot of people realize that he is. Um, you know, we're talking about the depth, but I think, I think even with him giving you top end depth, um, that, that was a really big addition too. Oh, anytime that you can say that you have either Cookie Carrasco or Marcus Stroman. I mean, this is when Syndergaard returns, but even in this spot where one of them are your number three starters, yeah, you, you, you did very, very well. And, and Carrasco, you know, he's so consistent. Um, it, he really just, I think that Mets fans are going to be so pleased with what they see. Um, and the fact that the fact that they got Lindor and Carrasco for, you know, and looking back on it, we can say this for Jimenez, Rosario and two prospects that are years away. Like, that's just Unreal to hear anyone no, complain is. about this offseason is just it blows my mind because <laughs> that I mean, that's that's a, a franchise changing move. And uh, yeah, just um, y- you can't go wrong there in the bullpen. A lot is riding on. I don't want to say question marks, but everybody reaching their potential. And you can go from the top to the bottom there. You can go with Diaz, you know, because we saw it last year. He really picked up his game. He looked terrific. I'm not worried about May. Everything I see with Trevor May is outstanding. But um, I'm looking mostly at the Batances, the Familias, even because Elman might be in the mix in in the bullpen with Lugo out. Uh, You know, are these guys in your mind, in your eyes, is this the kind of middle middle of the bullpen glue that is going to take this team to the places that it wants to go? <laughs> I think it's hard to say yes on that. I mean, it is. I, I, I probably I probably worded that tough, but yeah, let's do do your best with it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I think bullpens are tough, though. You know, like it's so temperamental. Like I, you know, I was. I was writing once and just kind of came out. It's like bullpens are like cats. Like you can't figure them out. Like sometimes, you know, they'll they'll come around, they'll be friendly. And sometimes they want to do their own thing. And it's like, it makes it really hard when you're trying to kind of piece one together because you don't know. I mean, if you look at DS's underlying numbers there, you know, especially last year, there's no reason to think he can't be dominant like he was before the trade. And like he has been at times with the Mets when it's just not, you know, that certain big game that he blows and that sticks in Mets fans' minds. Um, But, you know, you just don't know if you're going to get, like, is Aaron Loop going to come here and just fit in the right spot where in that role he's able to thrive? And, And I think that's something that people don't look at enough with bullpens is the role that you set out for these guys. You know, so if Diaz and May, let's say, become your true like eighth, ninth inning guys, then I think it's a lot easier to kind of fill in the blanks in the sixth and seventh innings, mixing with the right matchups. But when you have question marks about role going all the way to the ninth inning, that's where I think it gets tricky because now you can't let a guy like settle into this is what they're going to do. Now just perfect that role. And I think that to me is the big question mark heading in is whether those roles will get defined quickly or whether we'll be in a position, you know, end of April, Diaz has blown a couple games, May gets off to a slow start. And it's like the whole thing's kind of like, yeah, you know, who, who who's going to own which inning type of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that, that's an important part. I know even Trevor May was on the show uh, two weeks ago and he, he kind of intimated that point. Like, you know, uh, having a structured bullpen is, is certainly beneficial to the, to the members of it because it gets guys, you know, it's one less thing to worry about. Just focus on going out there and getting outs. And um, there's a lot to be said for that. There's also a lot to be said for depth and the ability to kind of, you have two options. Well, when Lugo returns, arguably three options to kind of slide into that closer role. Um, having those options is a great, great thing. But yeah, you would love to, in a perfect world, say, you know, wh- when Lugo's back, you know, Lugo, Diaz, May, Lugo, May, Diaz, whatever. And I, I'm, you know, 
as a fan, I'm perfectly comfortable in any spot, but I do think that Diaz's ceiling is there. I've said it previously, previously on the show. Uh, he's learning how to pitch, not just throw. Cause he's only got two pitches and there has, you know, there's a lot of finesse involved in that, but yep. to, to know where to put him and to know when to throw him and to know what to do with him, when to waste a pitch and, 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 really kind of fine tune that ability to stay off the center of the plate. It's, um, you know, it, it just brings a whole world of potential to not just him, but the whole, the group as a whole. And it, like, like we were saying, it comes back to structure. And if Diaz is able to be that guy, it's like a domino effect and everything else falls into place. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is where we're going to find out too with, you know, it's sort of weird because it's like, it's a new regime. You have new ownership, you have a, a different GM, obviously not the one they started with, but then you still have Sandy. And because, you know, of everything that happened this offseason, he's sort of been the, um, you know, the one that's the division, I guess, that's been there the whole time. But it's like, I am interested just seeing like how, you know, how this, I'll call it regime approaches things too. Like we don't know, you know, when we're talking about having defined roles in a bullpen, you know, we don't know. They've talked a little bit about using openers. And I know some, you know, if you're a nerdy baseball fan, you get into that. It's just, you know, I think that's, I'm also interested in seeing what their approach is in terms of how they make the most out of what they have. Um, and, and, and that we just don't know yet. And we don't know too, if signing some of these pitchers, if they signed them with an idea of how they would fit, you know, we know, you know, what May brings in terms of, you know, his velocity and ability to strike people out, um, you know, comes with a different arm angle. Like they needed a left-hander, but he, but he also, you know, I think has a, a little bit of a different look. Um, so I, again, I'm just interested in kind of how all those pieces come together as a whole. And I think, um, I think that will tell us, you know, both obviously just about the success the team has, but maybe even a little bit about how this front office, you know, plans on building the bullpen. Oh, sure. And I think that even spills over onto the positional side. I mean, especially without the DH, you have so many guys who could fit into so many holes and you have to, um, <laughs> you really have to handle that. Not, not necessarily with care, but almost to the point that you got to make sure that everybody still gets their reps and stays fresh. Like I look at JD Davis and Rojas has been vague about the third base situation to say the least this spring. I mean, he's mentioned that JD Davis is going to see time. He's mentioned that Jeff McNeil is going to see time. He's meant the third um, Sandy earlier in the off season was very high on Luis Guillorme. Uh, uh, he, he wasn't even, his name wasn't even brought up. Sandy brought it up himself. So you have to think they have uh, ideas for him, but you know, you, you look around and you know, the having the Mets having the ability to, put a, 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 a defense first outfield uh, infield in there on some days in Dom Smith at first and Lindor at short and either Jeff McNeil or Luis Guillorme at second or third, wherever, wherever you want to put them. And then other days, Oh, well, you know, we have uh, you know, a number four starter we're going up against. We really need some runs. We need a big win. Let's put our, our JD Davis, Pete Alonzo infield in there. Like it's just so many different layers. And I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I'm curious to see how they employ all the options they have. And, and for the first time in a very long time, there's a lot of options and uh, you know, the fallback ones are, they're not, they're palatable. I should say that they're, they're, easier to swallow than they have been in the past. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, JD Davis, it's, it's funny. He's, he's been obviously the big one. Everyone's kind of scratching her head, trying to figure out what the Mets think of him because it's depending on almost like which press conference you listen to, you get, you know, you get different hints about how much they like him or don't like him. I mean, you know, the guy can clearly hit, you know, we know that we know, at least in my view, you know, he's not as much of a um, issue defensively at third as, as he was obviously in outfield. Um, so, you know, maybe with more reps there, you know, he finds, you know, he finds a home there. I, I was a little surprised that they didn't, they didn't go after a player who offered like a clear defensive replacement at third base. Like Valet is more of a middle infielder that, you know, that's really where he plays. So I think when he plays, he's going to play second and they'll move McNeil over to third. Um, 
So I was a little surprised there because I think that's how you can sort of, to your point, like juggle your lineup when you want to go defense first versus when you want to go, you know, with offense. But, but yeah, overall, the bench is obviously deeper than it's been. Um, and, you know, the, the lineup, I mean, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and it's like we get so caught up in offseason of, over what, what they're adding and, you know, whether it be a DH, whether or not. I mean, you put all that aside and you just look, you think about walking in a city field where you go up the escalators there and they, they have the, the lineup at the top. And I'm just like, how many years did you go in and you're looking at that lineup and you're literally like, where are we going to find like a hit tonight? And now <laughs> it's like, you're going out, up and down that lineup and you're like, where's there going to be like an easy out? Like, it, it, like to me, that's what I'm actually most excited about. Like this lineup, when you add Lindor in the middle of, you know, Nimmo, McNeil and Conforto and Alonso, I mean, it's a pretty impressive lineup. It is. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. One through eight. This is on fan graphs. You got Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo. You got Pete Alonzo in the five hole. I mean, you're, you're looking awfully good. Dom Smith, JD Davis, and James McCann, who, he almost unjustly feels like an afterthought this offseason. But it, I really think that for the dollars that they got him for and for his ceiling is going to be a huge addition, especially with the pitching staff. But uh, yeah, one through eight is just terrific. You look at the bench, especially if you move J.D. Davis to the bench. And if they, I wish they would have brought in uh, a Eugenio Suarez, something like that, where it's just a clear, clear upgrade. Because in my mind, Davis makes this an elite bench. Because him coming off the, him, his back yeah, coming yeah. off the bench is just, you know, phenomenal. But, you know, it, it's, um, I'm interested to see where Guillaume fits. Uh, I think that he is, his versatility and how he's performed at the plate since, I guess, his last real recall, which was in like August of 2019. You know, he's been a, a very productive hitter, um, whether it's, you know, feasible long term, who knows, but uh, he's certainly getting comfortable at this level. And I think you have to continue with that. And that's kind of the point that I was trying to make with Davis, that you have to find these guys regular at bats. We saw Davis last year. He took quite a dip in offensive production because he wasn't seeing regular time. And I, I mean, I, that wasn't reported. He didn't say that was the reason why, but just from outside looking in, that's what I got from it. Without those regular at-bats, maybe he just, you know, had trouble finding that groove. Then you had the the COVID pause in the middle of the season. A lot played into it. I think over the course of a full year, we're going to see this roster just blossom. And guys like, and it just like the bullpen, it, guys are just going to fall into their spots and uh, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess then, it, I mean, it sounds it with hearing, you know, your optimism in your voice. I mean, do you feel, I mean, I think everyone, when they saw the Pakoda come out where it was 95 wins, that, that seemed a bit high. The other projections have them in that like 88 to 92. I mean, do you, is that in your mind kind of, you know, we just went through starter bullpen uh, lineup. Is that in your mind where, where this team is just like talent wise or, or how do you kind of view it there? I, I guess I'm playing host asking you the question, but. <laughs> no, that's cool. I dig it, man. Um, I actually, I, I, I try to keep bias aside, but I do. I see the Mets right there with the Dodgers. Um, I do see, I mean, I, I don't think the Braves are necessarily a, a third or fourth place team like Pakota has them. I actually strongly disagree with that. But what I do think is that all these projections kind of take the, a team's vulnerabilities and they look at the Braves and say, oh, maybe that starting rotation isn't so great. Oh, maybe that bullpen needs a couple of pieces. And I think that projections reflecting kindly on the Mets, um, that's just kind of a testament to the moves that the front office made this year to kind of shore up deficiencies. And um, yeah, I am. I'm excited. I think that, you know, everyone kind of has to play up to their potential for this team to match up with, let's say the Dodgers coming out of the national league. But if everyone does play up to their potential, I, I think that that would be one of the more entertaining seven game series we could ask for as baseball fans would be those two rosters up against each other. That's who I think it comes down to. And that's not to count out the Padres who've done terrific things um, this off season. It's not to count out Atlanta or even Philly, I think if Philly plays to their potential, that's a dangerous, dangerous team. Um, you know, the, it's going to be a dogfight, even coming out of the East. I think between the Mets and the Braves, that's going to be a, a, a battle. Um, if Ian Anderson takes steps, if Max Freed takes steps, if Soroka comes back strong, 
that's a very talented top three. I mean, <laughs> yes. you, oh, I, it just, you know, there's a lot to, um, a lot of cookies that need to crumble still, I guess you could say, but, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm super confident going into the season. I really am. Where are you at? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm the same way. I mean, another thing too, you know, with the projections, I always tell people is like, if, if they're, if Pocota's putting you at 95, I mean, even if they're off, I mean, on average, I think, that, you know, they could be off like three to four wins. There's, there are years they're off by like 20 wins on a certain team that, that oh, does happen. Yeah. But the point is, even if you say, okay, I think that's 10 wins too high, you're at 85, which means you're right there, you know? So to me, that's kind of how I look at it, where I say, you know, this team, based on the talent they have, even if they underperform a little bit to the projections, they're still right there, which makes me feel good. And I think, you know, you, you summed it up well in terms of the teams they're going after. And, it, you know, it's fun. It's like, you know, if you're a Mets fan, I feel like you, you have uh, flashbacks thinking of battling the, the Braves. But it's like, it, it's been a while since you've had to even worry about that. It's just fun to think some of these old rivalries, even with the Dodgers that, you know, dates back to the 88 series. Um, oh, I know, still, it, I still remember just, Chase Utley. I still hate him just as well, much no, as I yeah, did yeah, I'm, going, I'm going way back. I'm going way back, right? But it's just like the fact of, to me, I think of that 88 just because I think of this was, you know, the Mets off at of 86. That team should have won more than one time. And then, you know, they were the, the heavy favorites. And then here came comes the Dodgers and, and they really upset them in that NLCS. That and it's like, maybe, on. yeah. And maybe now it's like, is that the Mets this year? Sort of the opposite where it's like the Dodgers are, were like the talent of that 86 Mets team. And now here's the Mets kind of coming up. Um, so, you know, to me, it's just fun to kind of get back into all of that. And I think the national league has some intriguing matchups it's actually why it's funny for me with the expanded playoffs, like you want expanded playoffs because you want another chance for, to get in. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know, it makes for a fun regular season when, you know, you really are battling with some good teams to avoid that, that playing. And it makes these games meaningful, you know, the, the, this race in NL East, it's going to be fun every single day. If, if you know that not winning the division puts you in that tough spot. So, um, so I'm excited about both the, competition it creates but also just you know the the upside of the Mets oh it, it, you know how could you not be excited it, it, it's it's very it just I swear to from the day that Cohen bought the team till now has been an absolute and this is COVID aside just a whirlwind an absolute whirlwind and uh yeah I think everyone's just kind of at the height of their excitement right now it's it's um it's quite a sight if I know most of the listeners here are very active on Twitter. So you guys all feel it, but uh, I'm, you know, I just asking Mets fans, you know, you see a guy at the bagel store behind a mask with a Mets hat on and uh, you know, you, you start shooting the shit and it's like, yeah, everyone's really just pumped. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's funny, too, because the way the like analysis of the offseason goes, I feel like it's been this strange kind of rub about the excitement. So it's like on the one side, there's Steve Cohen is now the owner of the team. And that for no matter what happened this offseason, what that means is that every offseason, they will now theoretically be in the hunt for the big names or just at least be right there. Right. But then because they didn't sign, you know, a couple of the names at the top of the list, you had sort of this other like faction that was like disappointed and it just sort of like, it was strange to me kind of seeing how that unfolded because part of me was saying, well, this is part of being a, a big market team now for real. Like now it was just, it's just like with the Yankees. Now you're going to be evaluated based on, do you get the absolute best guy every single time yeah. versus before it was like, just get one guy right. And you're excited. So it's just been interesting seeing that, like I said, it's that kind of rub of the two sides, but I think like, you know, overall, 
if you're a Mets fan and you're not excited, I mean, because like I said, forget what even happens this year. You are now in it every year with an owner like Cohen. Um, and, and that you just got to be thrilled about. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, going from the, the fake it until you make it will ponds to actual championship minded, tangible progress of, uh, of Steve Cohen. And we haven't even played a game yet under the regime and you can feel the progress. You can actually see the progress that's been made. It's um, yeah, it just, it blows me away. Uh, JB, you ready for some over-unders to close us out? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Um, I have, I guess, I don't know, maybe 10 here. And I think we kind of touched on a couple of them, but um, I'm curious to see where, where, where we, uh, where we land on these. All right. Let's start off with a guy coming off a, you know, on the surface looks like a weak season or at least a down, a downfall from his, his uh, outstanding 29 rookie year. Pete Alonzo over under 35 home runs. Over, over. I think I'm with you there. Um, I wanted to put it at 40, but didn't want to set the bar too high. I figured I'd make it a bit of a question, but I'm with you there. <laughs> I'm expecting big things. Um, reports out of camp is that he's in terrific shape. Uh, I'm with it hundred percent. Okay. Moving on. Brandon Nimmo. Um, we know what he does at the plate. We know what his game brings over under 370 on base percentage. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it's it's probably right. It's probably right around there. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to say over. I'm trying to make it this a little logical, at least based on like we talked about earlier, all the guys um, behind him in, in the lineup that I think, you know, on, on one side, you could say he's going to get more pitches to hit. So it's less walks. But I think those more pitches to hit, it's going to help him get on base, you know, just the old fashioned way. So I'm going to say over. I want to say I'm with you there. Um, I, and it's so funny because the Mets can put so many different guys up towards the top of the order that have that on that high on base percentage profile to their skill set. And I, I don't want to say that if Nimmo's in the number one spot, that guys might, I guess pitchers might go after him a little bit harder, get him out of the way. But even at that, he'll still get on base. I'm going to go over. I'm with you right there, but just slightly over. I'm thinking that he might dip to that 350 to 369 area, but I'm with you. Let's, let's shoot for 380 and hope for the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff McNeil. This is a guy who by all accounts, and you know, we've seen it. Uh, people are outside are starting to uh, outside the, the fan base and the organization are starting to notice um, just a terrific hitter. You have to take into account he's got less than 250 career games under his belt. He's been, uh, I don't have his, oh, I had his slash line right here, but that's okay. We don't need it. Over under 300 batting average, All right, which is pretty much me saying, are you expecting any regression from Jeff McNeil? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was looking at something with him recently and some of the like, uh, batted ball data in terms of exit velocity and stuff. It, it's a, he's a funny one to look at. Um, it, it, you know, it didn't suggest that he would, you know, continue this performance as well, but I think he's a, a, what we used to call right. A professional hitter where he finds different ways to, to get on base. I mean, what do you bet? He had, I'm looking at it now. He bet 311 last year. He is 318 the year before. So, you know, that's a pretty big drop off to go under 300. Um, I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over. I, I, I'm staying optimistic three in a row here. Nice. Um, I'm actually going to go under on this only because if you remember at the end of 20, was it 2020? Was it last year that he was hurting in his hamstring and he started hitting more home runs? Or that that was nope. 2019. Uh, maybe that was the second half of 2019. Nope. Um, and his batting average, he sacrificed some points there in order to kind of add that facet to his game. I'm going to put money on him continuing that trend. And even if he's a 285, 290 hitter, but he's hitting 20 home runs a year, that's so I, this is more like an opt. It's an optimistic under. I think he's going to be under, but I think he's going to do it for good reasons. And I think it's going to be on purpose, not because of regression. So I, yeah. I, I guess I kind of played my own game there a little bit too, too tough, but anyway, <laughs> um, moving on, Michael Conforto who coming off of a, an absolutely first-class year um, trajectories through the roof right now, over under 850 OPS. 
You know, it's funny. This one, I don't have, um, I have maybe this is the, the fan in me uh, thinking. I could see Conforto kind of coming back down on earth this year just because I don't think they're going to do um, the extension, you know, before this season. I think with Boris, he's going to ride that out. And you just don't know how players react to that, right? Um, everything is primed for him to kind of continue into the next stratosphere. Um, and it can be tough when you're trying to do that and prove why you deserve this big, huge extension. So, like I said, it's either the, the fan of me that's like, oh, because, you know, of course, that's going to mean he'll, he'll come back down to earth a little bit. But um, I, I guess I'll go under on that one. I'm not saying he's going to have a bad season. I mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I'll leave it at that. No, and I see that and I get that. And I guess looking, I'm looking back to his shoulder injury and coming back from that. And I guess since then, he's just gotten progressively better. And like, it's noticeable how much more comfortable yes. he is yep. at this level. Um, I, I don't think that his, he had a 927 OPS last year in, in 50 something games, 54 games. I don't know if that's going to be um, the level we're going to see. But I, I, I do. I, I think even just under nine would be um, a solid, solid. Se- well, of course, it'd be a solid season. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go the over. And I, I, he doesn't have to match last year's output. But I'm going to go the over and um, and say that he keeps riding that wave. Uh, over to the pitching staff, JB. Edwin Diaz, okay. over under 2.50 ERA. <laughs> this is a yeah he's the one that's a fun one right <laughs> this is a good one <laughs> well fun is one way to describe it <laughs> <laughs> um jeez ah, that's like you got a good number there 2.5 he has 2.29 last year i mean even that first year he was he was at three 307 which I, you would have no no i'm looking at the fit he was 559 i was gonna say that yeah. doesn't seem right <laughs> yeah yeah um oh, man 2.50 it's probably, yeah, that's, geez. I almost don't, I almost want to say over because I want him to surprise me. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to say, I'm going to say over. I still got to see him. I know he came back strong. The numbers were really good last year, but you know, ERA can be funny too. Like he could have a good year and his ERA could be, you know, high twos. Yeah. Um, I'll say, I'll say over. And it's part of me hedging. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to jinx him. <laughs> I'm saying under. Leave a little room for enjoyment once he does it. Okay. Yes. Good. I dig it. Um, I, I'm, I'm also going to go over, but I'm going to go under three. I think he has a really, really nice year. And I, same thing. I don't want to set the bar too high, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on Edwin Diaz. Let's stick to the 2.50 ERA. Jacob DeGrom over under 2.50. 2.50. Um, let's go under. I mean, why, why bet against Jake? You know, yeah. like, you got to go under there. We dig it. I dig it. And let's, I, I, I swear I, I'm ready to go under two, but let's, let's, let's keep it uh, level headed right now. Under 2.50, another Cy Young locking up that ticket to Cooperstown. Noah Syndergaard over under 15 starts. Um, I'll go, I'll go over. I, I don't know. I, I think he's, I'll go over with it. I, I don't know if I have good logic to it, but I just feel like everything we've heard, you know, and again, t- typical Mets, we would say we're going to find out in May, he's got a setback and, and this and that, but let's go with, we got new, new ownership, new good vibes. Um, we can't really say a lot from a distance on what, what's really going on with his rehab. Everything has sounded good. I'm going to say, you know, he'll, that, that's a, probably a good number he could hit. I, I think so. I think I thought it was a safe number. Um, you know, let's say because they put him on the 60 day DL. So now his earliest target date would be like early, early June, I believe. So let's say he has the possibility for like 18 starts. But let's say maybe the Mets, you know, let's say if they're using a six man rotation or or, you know, just kind of easing him back into things. I think 15 was kind of a nice little target. I'm going to go push on this one because I think that, you know, this is all speculation. Of course, I think 15 starts coming back from that would be a really, really nice target. And I think hitting it would be some sort of a milestone 
because he should have the opportunity to make a couple more. But um, I'm going to push because I think that would be a nice round number. And I am expecting him to, to come back on time, but totally fine with the Mets kind of easing him back into that every fifth day sort of uh, sort of situation. Yeah. And the nice thing with him is the fact that he is due to come back in enough time before they hit the trade deadline. Cause I do think it's important for them to see what do they get from him in evaluating like what they might have to do, you know, closer to the deadline, because, you know, obviously he could be, you know, one of your biggest additions to this roster, um, you know, this year. So I'm glad that right now it's tracking to, they should have some time, some amount of starts where he comes back and you see where he's at. And then you can kind of go from there. I agree. And, you know, I think, playing playing this cautiously is most definitely the way to go because he's just so important to to the future and that's of course they have to decide whether they're keeping him in the fold but um I, this this is a guy that I would attack with a or at least approach with um with an extension offer sooner rather than later as long as he's coming back looking healthy you know if you can bring him in and keep him in at at a reasonable cost and just watch him continue to grow that's a uh, you know, that's a solid, solid number two when he's in his game. Love to yep. see it and uh, certainly hoping for it. I know we touched on these last two a little bit, uh, just a little bit earlier, but uh, going back to Pakoda, over under Mets, 95 and a half wins. I got to go under there. That just seems so high to me. You know, like it, it, it's tough to win, you know, upper 90s or 100 games. Um you know, you could have a, a bad, a little bad stretch at the end of the year and, and kind of blow that up. So I'm going to go under there, but not because I think they're going to have, you know, a bad year. I just think, um, you know, 90 is probably a safer number. Uh, I'm with you 100%, especially in a tough division where you got to play at tough division a bunch of times. Yeah, I think under is safe. I think um, it could be a year where 90, 92 wins wins uh wins the division we i mean it's going to be interesting and uh sticking with pakota the atlanta braves i know they had them finishing in fourth but i would i i wouldn't even say it um i'm going to put over under at third place and i think this is still an easy one uh atlanta braves over under third place in the nl east yeah over i mean i think that is an easy one um i mean everyone it it literally seems like anyone you hear talk about the projections, the big the Braves is a big one. They highlight, um, you know, they, they got, a, a, you know, a fun roster with young, you know, young star players, some, you know, Freddie Freeman veteran guys. I mean, they got, obviously you already mentioned about the rotation. Um, so, you know, I think especially because some of the younger guys, both in rotation and the lineup have the potential of, maybe being better than some of the projections. And maybe that's why the projection is low on them. They just don't have enough to say like how much those guys are going to really take that next step. Um, I'm going to say over. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there too. And I'm, I'm still of the, uh, of the thought that uh, this is going to be a, a neck and neck race throughout the summer. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I am totally here for it. Love it. Absolutely oh, yeah. love it. Yeah. Neck and neck. And we're going to get annoyed because, you know, Darno is going to be a giant pain in the butt. You know, you that's going to happen. Oh, you know. It. <laughs> but um, I did see, by the way, with with Loop, I, I remember when they signed him, I was, one of the things I looked up is he's 0 for 7 against um, uh, uh, Loop or Freeman is 0 for 7 against Loop. Really? So, you know, if there's if there's one thing, Met Killer Freddie Freeman, maybe, you know, we have the kryptonite now of Aaron Loop, uh, who's gotten him out all seven times. I want to say DeGrom has decent numbers against him too, but who, who doesn't DeGrom have decent numbers against yeah, him? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> JB, um, you're doing pretty interesting things over at Mets. Well, it's at, Met, at Mets Fix over on Twitter, but it's uh, the Metropolitan. Tell us, how's that going, man? You guys really, um, it's one of the things I look forward to in the morning. It's great. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, well, both of us right now, we're, li- we're living in the Substack world. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, as you know, it's a different way to look at it. I think it's it's fun because, you know, like you, I've, you know, written for plenty of blogs. Um, but you, you do things a little different that way because of the way, you know, a blog works. You're a little more timely probably when you're publishing something. And um, I really like the newsletter format because it gives a chance. You know, we publish every just one a day, every uh, morning by 8 a.m., every weekday morning. Mm-hmm. And I like it because it gives me a chance to say, okay, news happens. 
now let's like really think about it, you know, and what, and what I want to say about it rather than just feeling like, okay, I got to put something up on the site. So that way it's timely and people can read about it. So I, I like that. Um, but yeah, th- th- things are going well and, and enjoying it. And, and then, like I said, I'm, I'm also enjoying what you're doing with the Apple. You know, we're having a lot of fun still early. Um, I, I guess I jumped into this without much uh, planning. So certainly finding my, um, well, we're all the whole site. We've had some, some really cool contributors come on. Um, actually two of our guys, uh, Chris and Kyle carried us through Sunday. I haven't even got to the keyboard yet today. It's been actually really nice. <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, it's, I guess coming from, from mesmerized, um, you know, my instincts told me, Oh, keep on doing what you, you know, be mesmerized, Tim. And I realized that I don't have to do that, especially with the this, the newsletter format. Like I'm still going to, I I still like to say we're going to put out, you know, if it's big news, we'll do a news brief. Or if it's, um, you know, if it's something worthy of a, of a yeah, it's got to get out right away. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm fine with that. And, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, no, I, I think that's, sorry, not to interrupt, but I was going to no, say, no, I think ahead. that's what you guys I think that's what I like about how you guys are approaching it is, you know, I think we're sort of in this new space um, with, with the newsletters. And I think finding that right balance, like we're talking about in terms yeah. of, you know, being timely versus, you know, um, you know, because it comes in email, you, you're, you think about the frequency different, but I think you guys right. have done a good job sort of having that balance of, yeah, a news item comes up. People want to usually read about it, but it doesn't mean, you know, you still don't also have something that's, you know, more thoughtful that's coming later. So, so yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the way you guys approach it. Right. Right. Like, like the last thing I want to be is a content farm, but I'd also like to keep everyone abreast because especially because it's funny, the two-sided coin of the email list is that you don't want to bombard everybody, but you also want people who aren't, let's say on Twitter, um, Boom. You know, you have, oh, there's news that just came out. You already have an article in your inbox. Like there's such a cool way to approach it, but the balance is, uh, it's tricky. It's certainly tricky. And, um, you know, the analytics of it are, are cool because you get to see kind of like the responses to what you do in those windows. And uh, I'm yet to tie up like Google analytics to it. I'm just looking at the basic Substack one, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's interesting. Uh, we certainly had a, a great amount of support lately and it's, uh, it's really appreciated and, you know, making our little strides. It's fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think me and you have talked in the background and it's kind of nice too. I, I think we, we're, we sort of supplement each other well, you know, where, yeah. um, you know, I, I think between the two, if Mets fans are signed up for both, you're, you're getting plenty you're getting plenty of different angles and, you know, like with, like with ours, it's more, you know, you're going to get it that once in the morning and you're going to get a broad overview of kind of everything that's going on. And then we try to do like one, you know, like analytical look uh, within that newsletter. And then um, like we were just describing with yours. So, you know, it's same thing with the Knicks. Like I always tell people with Knicks film school, it's like our best success with Knicks film school was always independent content creators kind of, coming together and propping each other up and everyone, everyone makes out well. And that's why I've been excited that, you know, it, this is our first podcast doing together, but, you know, doing, doing stuff together and helping each other out. I, I think we all, we all benefit from that and it makes it for the fans. I mean, right now, what, what better time? Like the team is good. And I think we have a lot of really good Mets content from different places out um, depending on what you're looking for, you, you know, you can find it. And I, and I'm, I'm just excited about it overall, both because of the team and because of the content coming out right now. I think one of the most appealing things about being a Mets fan is the sense of community. And even amongst Mets bloggers or Mets writers, or even the beat writers, there's a sense of community. Like, you know, we're all in this together, whether you're a fan, whether you're a, a you know, one of us, whatever you're doing. Um, and yeah, just, you know, like you said, propping each other up and showing that support, it's, um, you know, it all adds to that community kind of flavor. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a sign of the times. I think it comes along with the, uh, with the optimism that's running through the fan base right now. Absolutely. Yep. Well, JB, um, this has been very fun. Where can everybody find you on, uh, on social media? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, at Mets Fix is the best place to go where you can find both the Twitter account, but also the link to our newsletter to subscribe. Um, it's free, you know, so just go on, click on the link, sign up. 
And then um, if you want occasional Nick's content too, you can just follow me at Jeffrey Ballone. Um, and then obviously uh, at Nick Film School with the K for the school, uh, because our original account got taken down by the, by the people who run Twitter. Um, I, I was a little careless early on when I was making my videos. I had put, I just used whatever music because, you know, I literally had like 25 people following me. Mm -hmm. And I did that a couple times. And those videos um, ended up getting flagged uh, because, you know, because of the music. Yeah. And then it was just too many warnings. So it, it pulled us down. But anyways, <sighs> uh, more than more than anyone need to know. But that's why we have a different account. If you used to follow the original account, that's why there's a different Nick Film School account now. Um, I was curious. Yeah, you can find all this stuff there. I, yeah, I never, yeah, I, I don't know asked. if everyone knew that. I know. Yeah, I, no, I, I never asked. I noticed. I'm like, oh, maybe they just kind of migrated. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's funny because the funny part about it was it was Ron Baker. He was one of the first couple of videos I made because it was always like, I wanted to do it where I wasn't always focused on star player, focus on someone else and kind of get into the details. And it was Ron Baker videos, believe it or not. And a, and a couple of them got flagged in a row and that was the multiple strikes. And, and that was it. <laughs> Ron Baker, ultimate hype man. Yeah, exactly. Of all people, right? <laughs> oh, he was great. Dude. I mean, you know, just even going back, like Steve Novak, like when he wasn't draining threes, that guy was just a hype man, bro. He was getting everybody up. It was awesome. Ah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the garden's got to get fans back in it soon. There's nothing like that energy. Even watching on a screen, there's nothing like that energy. Ah, can't wait. It's coming soon, my man. All right. I know. I know. Cause they're, they're letting them come in. I think it's what, like, it's a small 20%, but I think everyone feels like with the Knicks finally being good, that 20% is going to sound like a full arena. Oh my gosh. Uh, get them all. Uh, one of the big megaphones, the big plastic megaphones, get them for everybody. I want to hear it. <laughs> but uh, JB, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. This was great. Yeah, no, I had fun. We'll, we'll do it again soon. Thanks again. Excellent. Everybody, you guys know where to find us. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Keep on checking out the Apple. It's at the Apple, uh, excuse me, at the Apple NYM on Twitter, the Apple NYM.substack.com. Uh, sign up for the email list. Do the same thing for the Metropolitan. You could find them again at MetsFix on Twitter. Just look for the Metropolitan on Substack. You find it there. Sign up. Uh, this is just the first of many link ups between the two parties. And uh, we'll keep you guys up to date all uh, all offseason. So let's go Mets. JB, thanks again. And we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.